Welcome to Thrive Deeper, the show based on the Thrive Bible Reading Guides. This is an ongoing conversation about God's Word with Thrive author, Dr. Matthew Jacoby. Well, Matt, uh, here we are sitting in the podcast studio Mm. and I'm holding a copy of Something with words on it Something that you can't with, understand. Which, which I can't understand, but looking at the cover, it looks like deeper places in French. That's right. And uh, very exciting, actually. These just arrived today across across my desk, and uh, we've managed to get Deeper Places, your book on the spirituality yeah. of the Psalms, published in French. And uh, and that's two languages now, or well, three, actually, mm. of course, English, mm. but we've also got Dutch yeah. and French. So take that home, and uh, I'm I not will. sure. I'll have, to give a copy. I'll have to give a copy to my mum. She's right. the only one that... I know that speaks French. I was going to say otherwise, Google Translate yeah. or something or other. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure he said what you said. Sure. Uh, okay. Well, I'll take your word yeah, for yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I did get it checked. I, I promise it's been peer reviewed to yeah. make sure of that. But uh, very exciting. And if you haven't checked out Matt's book, Deeper Places: Spirituality of the Psalms, I'd really encourage you to have a look out for that. Um, you can find a way to get to that book through our Thrive Today TV website. But Matt, we mm. are jumping into episode 160 of We've got Thrive some rich Deeper. Bible study today. This is your, we have. your half an hour of Bible study uh, for the fortnight, and we've got some rich stuff for you. Yeah, it's, it, well, it'll be interesting if we can get this into half an hour, but yeah. uh, we're looking at Isaiah, and we're going to really try to cover chapters 1 to 12-ish if we get mm. there. Um, and of course, Isaiah uh, was uh, prophesying really in the era 740 to 700 BC. Mm-hmm. largely, in the time where we still had the what was the end of the two-kingdom era with mm. Israel in the northern kingdom and Judah in the southern kingdom. And his prophetic words were uh, largely directed towards the leaders of Jerusalem and Judah. Mm. That was really where he was speaking. We know that at this stage, Assyria had defeated Israel, the northern kingdom, um, and Aram had tried to make an alliance with them to then come and take mm. uh, Judah. Uh, yeah. uh, or actually, t- they'd asked Judah to join them in an alliance, and Judah had refused to. And mm. so then they started the siege towards uh, Jerusalem and, and Judah as well. And in this time, Isaiah had been warning Hezekiah, who was the king of Judah at the time, about the nation's rebellion against God. Uh, the nation, both of Israel and the impending judgment that was coming or had come to them, but also what was going to be coming to to Judah. And when he issues these warnings to Hezekiah, we do see um, a revival of sorts. Uh, Yeah, we do. Yeah, that's the difference between the northern and the southern kingdoms Mm. at this stage is that the southern kingdoms actually listen. I mean, the northern kingdoms, Northern Kingdom just consistently uh, will not listen. And yeah. in fact, it's interesting to note, the more apostate they become, actually, God doesn't turn his back on them. He actually sends more prophets. Dials it up. And, yeah. uh, and yeah. Isaiah um, is a key figure that, uh, that speaks to the Northern Kingdom. Mm. Um, but of course, they don't listen. And the Southern Kingdom does listen. And they, mm. uh, at least for the next hundred years, they, they continue. Mm. Mm. And and we see really God's miraculous saving of the city of Jerusalem when it's besieged by Sennacherib. Mm. Sen- Sennacherib, Sennacherib. Yep. yep. When he marched against Judah and and uh, you know Isaiah urged the king to trust God to defend yeah. them, and and sure enough, he did in a in a miraculous way. So, yeah, these are incredibly incredibly turbulent times yes, yep. in the ancient world, and when you have turbulent times in the ancient world, mm. they're really really turbulent. Yeah. You know the yep. in- insecurity, yep. uh, and uh, you know it's in within Isaiah's ministry that 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 the northern kingdom mm. uh, the 10 tribes of Israel are going to disappear yeah yep. uh, and so 
it's you know there's this a time of great cataclysm and he's anticipating this exactly right and he preaches that God's judgment was actually going to come through the hands of the other nations the nations surrounding them were actually going to be uh, God's um, hand of judgment and and largely that was around so Assyria and later Babylon obviously and largely that was going to be focused on the nation's idolatry uh, you know yeah. Israel and Judah's idolatry and the oppression of the poor that big right. themes through through this and the last thing before we jump in at chapter one there man I want to reflect on too is having just come out of Micah where we've seen a prophet sort of the judgment mm. but then there's also these these um, sections of hope mm. you know just talking about it's not it's not forever there yeah, is hope right. in the future and and yep. uh, as you say this is about restoration for people. that's right yeah, yeah. and uh, all that whole pattern uh, throughout the biblical prophets the constant references to hope where you know there's these oracles of judgment it's as though God is pruning back the tree but mm. there's always hope, hope beyond that and one of the one of the important themes actually through the prophets and this is particularly the case with Isaiah is the theme of a remnant God mm. in a sense is going to prune back the tree but there will always be a remnant mm. and and from that remnant uh, will grow essentially the 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 future community of God that ultimately is going to be the church yes. uh, from that yeah. uh, stump of Jesse as yes. as it's uh, yeah. um, so so even in chapter eleven when it talks about the stump of Jesse you think a stump mm. man that this thing is really going to get cut back mm. but there's going to be new shoots mm. uh, from that stump and visually there's a great way for us in Australia in particular because of forest fires and we see forests mm. completely destroyed and then you come back and you know when the when you see it on yeah. TV they're filming a year later you see these little green shoots yeah, coming right. out of what looked like was completely destroyed so there's an interesting picture there that and mm. there's quite a lot of kind of horticultural <laughs> illustrations yeah, through this part of yeah, Isaiah anyway so let's jump into yeah. the first five chapter. chapters are I, I was thinking Stu a little bit like uh, a sort of movie trailer mm. you know a movie trailer where you have all the best bits yeah yeah and these it's interesting because you would think that chapter six this amazing account of the calling of Isaiah mm. you would think that that would be right Up at the front, start yeah. uh, but you have these five chapters of oracles in which basically you get a condensed version of the kind of thing that God is saying uh, throughout yeah, the rest uh, throughout the re- mm. at least the first half of the book. Mm. Um, so you know it addresses their rebellion, and you know you have this interplay with uh, uh, oracles of rebellion. But then uh, you have, for example, in chapter two, in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple yeah. will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all the nations will stream to it. Yeah. Uh, many peoples will come and say, "Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord." And so, and this is actually a theme that runs right through uh, the, the book of Isaiah. You know, this idea of the ultimate fulfillment of God's covenant, because of course the covenant with Abraham mm. was that all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. And so, the idea of all of the nations streaming to Zion um, is is an important theme throughout yeah. this book because yeah. it shows that ultimately. God's people, as God w- committed the, the plan that God committed to, was that these people would be a light to the Gentiles, a light to the nations. Mm-hmm. Even it, though, even though the people hadn't kept their end of no, the no, covenant. that's right. Oh, yeah, and, and you know, and I think through chapters one and two, there's a big part of you know, essentially, it's God's ultimatum: obey, and that would bring forgiveness yeah, and restoration, right. or continue in disobedience, which is going to result in destruction. And yeah, that's you know, right. That's really the the big part of that first part of of. Chapters one and two, I think. Yeah, that's right. right. And you get in, you know, great picture language mm-hmm. here, in in chapter five. And because I'm, I want to yeah, do yeah. a slightly deeper dive on chapter six yep. here. Yep. Um, 
but you you get this idea of the vineyard and the, and you know yeah. uh, that he established this beautiful vineyard and then went looking for fruit and found yeah. it uh, completely uh, fruitless and and yeah. so forth and um let, let's let's jump into uh, chapter six, Stu, because I want to do a little bit of a deep dive yeah, uh, on this one. Um, it uh, it begins chapter six, verse one. In the year that King Uzziah died, now this is important because. Um, uh, king Uzziah was quite a successful uh, king. He, it was a time of prosperity, and this um, this leads to, uh, I guess, the question uh, of well, what now? And there's a sense of insecurity too with the, with the changing oh. over of the throne. But at the same time, you've got the king of Assyria coming in, mm. and the king of Aram, and and so you've got this complex political situation. Uh, one king has died, but it's in the context of the of the king dying that uh, Isaiah says, "I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne." Mm. And so, uh, you know, he's in one sense one king has died, but in the context of that, he sees the true king, the real king. Yeah, yeah. and it's interesting <laughs> here that he says that he sees the Lord. Um, now. You know, we're almost prepared here to see Yahweh, to see God. Mm. Um, however, there's a sense in which any glimpse of God is kind of blocked here. Even the seraphim, we're going to meet the seraphim in a moment. Uh, but even the this, this seraphim hovering around yeah. Yahweh, they even hide their faces in, mm. in their wings. Mm. And so, so they, have, they have six wings and two of them are just to hide their faces. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And so in a sense, what is described is more what's happening in the vicinity around God. There's yes. no direct description yeah. of of Yahweh himself here, but he's high and exalted. Now he's seated on a throne. And as soon as, as soon as we see the word throne there, it's not just talking about authority. This is judgment. Mm. This looks like judgment day, mm. Mm. you know, so this is a, a judgment scene here. Mm. And it says, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Uh, and you could think of this as like the hem of his robe. So what actually filled the temple was God, God in himself. a sense. Yeah. And um, uh, so it's an amazing vision here. Yeah. Above him, it says, were seraphim. Now, this is interesting, Stu. <laughs> seraphim. Now, you would perhaps expect um, maybe cherubim, uh, and, and I'll, I'll, you know, yep. unpack the difference. Yeah, let, let me let me unpack the dif- the difference. Now, the thing about uh, cherubim, of course, were you know guarding the way that yep. the cherubim with the the flaming sword, mm. uh, guarding the way to the tree of life. They're these sort of guard, almost sort of guardian angels in that yep. in that sense, guardians of the holiness of God. Uh, seraphim are associated with judgment. Now, seraphim uh, comes from the word fire, but it's actually used of serpents, snakes. In fact, it's the, it's, it's the word that's used of the snakes that God sent into the camp in the book of Numbers when he sent serpents in to bite the people as, a, as an act of judgment. Yep. Um, and then, of course, the raising up of the bronze serpent and so forth. So um, it's a, it's a, there's an... Kind of connection with judgment here. Yeah, uh, it's actually wow. um, so that they are actually not unknown in the ancient world. Uh, these kind of snake-like creatures that are um, symbols of judgment, uh, but also kind of guardians as well. So, for example, if you look at a picture of Tutankhamun, for example, mm-hmm. and you look at his headdress on the top of his head, you'll see uh, of his headdress, you'll mm-hmm. see a serpent, a snake. Right. 
Yeah, right. Uh, that's like a seraph, mm-hmm. you know, seraph in mm-hmm. uh, for uh, for the Egyptians, and you know that's kind of a, a, a guardian right. creature. Now the interesting thing here is they're not guarding Yahweh; they're actually protecting themselves in one sense. Uh, they are. Um, you know, Yahweh here doesn't need to be guarded. So it's interesting the way that that this vision of Isaiah, the way that it draws on imagery that was probably very familiar. Yeah, right. uh, because they, the, the these um, these seraphs are quite f- familiar in various imagery mm. on pottery wow. and so forth uh, in the in the ancient Near East, and so y- y- they, you know, these these sort of stinging vipers or so forth that are, um, you know, symbols of you know. Protection, judgment, yeah. so forth. Wow. And and here probably the the sense is this is judgment is coming because you know God is coming. There are these these seraphs, these seraph seraphim. They're poised, and they're poised. Yeah. You know, they're yeah. poised uh, mm-hmm. in in judgment. Mm-hmm. And so it's a scary it's a scary kind of thing. Now the interesting they're they're winged um, they're winged uh, seraphim. Uh, again, not not unknown uh, in uh, ancient Near Eastern. Uh, iconography, um, but they're covering their faces and their feet, so mm. they are they are responding to the holiness of God. Mm. Um, they're covering their faces because they cannot look upon the holiness uh, of God, mm. and uh, they're covering their feet. It's interesting. Not quite sure. I couldn't why, figure that out. Oh, uh, I was waiting they're, for they're you to covering, tell me. <laughs> they're covering their feet. Yeah. It may be again. It's this holy ground thing that right. the feet are right. associated. I mean, you know, they're serpents, but they've somehow got feet. feet. Yep. Um, but there's there is this sense of holy ground mm. and perhaps covering uh, something. It's been suggested too. They're covering uh, their feet. They're sort of disavowing any. Um, uh, any prerogative to to walk own. in their own ways yeah, or, right. or whatever that's you know one suggestion that's been made and anyway so they're calling to one another mm. holy 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 is the lord almighty the whole earth is full of his glory yeah it's amazing mm. a- amazing song uh, that they're singing here now what does holy mean in this in this context and i, I think we sometimes we think we know what these terms are um now, it's always used of of uh, of deity, um, and it's used for this sense of uh, a deity being exalted in, like highly exalted in some sense. So, the triple use of this word indicates that God, holy, 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 that He is set apart from all, all else. In mm-hmm. fact, all other spiritual beings that may be called gods. He's completely set apart. Mm-hmm. So set apartness is the key. It's right. the transcendence, the absolute transcendence right. uh, of God. And so the second line add, adds meaning to that because this is not just a local deity. This right. is his yeah. whole, the whole earth is filled with the glory of mm-hmm. God. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, you know, Isaiah's going to talk about the that the glory of the Lord covering the earth as the waters cover the sea. Yeah. Um, uh, now it says that the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook the temple, and it, was, and it was filled with smoke. This is again, smoke is a symbol of the of the presence of God. Yeah. And then Isaiah's mm. response yeah. to this is is interesting. Now here, in a sense, Isaiah is part of his people. He doesn't separate himself from his people. Mm. He says, woe to me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. 
So he has this I'm going to die moment because I belong to this the unclean people and, well. and the Correct. judgment sits with me yeah. as well. So he's actually acknowledging what everyone else should be acknowledging at this stage. Yeah. And again and again through the book of Isaiah, the call is if only you would acknowledge your sin, if only you would acknowledge and turn back to me and seek yes. forgiveness, yeah. then you would be cleansed. That's the consistent promise mm. uh, through Isaiah. So you have Isaiah enacting that himself, his immediate response as he is confronted with this holy, holy, holy God is this moment of deep, deep penitence, almost mm. shock. Mm. You know, mm. So he shows a, a sort of a tenderness of heart um, and a responsiveness to God in the midst of this. Now, as a result, it says one of the seraphim flew to me with a live cold. Now, these are seraphim who, who these fiery, you know, the association with fire and, and with judgment, but they come to Isaiah, says he flew to me with a coal in his hand, which he'd taken with tongs from the altar with it. He touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Mm. Now it's interesting that the um, there is this reference to unclean lips. Why, why do you have any? No, idea? It's, it's interesting uh, that it refers to that, and and I think it shows the well, because Isaiah said it before that too. Remember, because he says, "I am a man of unclean lips." Yeah, that's lips. right. And, and I live amongst a people yeah, of, of unclean, unclean lips. lips. That's the way that yeah. uh, that these people, uh, uh, you know, are, are described, and and this is. You know, this is a very verbal culture, and, and the idea of speaking is a very central idea in biblical revelation. God speaks, and he creates blessing and cursing are, mm. you know, are key, making vows, mm. bringing praise to God. Mm. Uh, and so the fruit, of, the fruit of one's lips actually is a key expression of the heart. Right. And, you know, there'd been a lot of giving lip service to God at this stage, a lot of hypocrisy. Yeah. He's gonna, false prophets. That's right. Thoughts. False prophets speaking yep. lies, mm. a lot of lies, a lot of mm. hypocrisy, and so forth. And, and so, um, you know, he, this, is, this is part of this unclean lips thing. Yeah. It's, it's just right. interesting that he mm. highlights that aspect of it. So uh, Isaiah, with the coal, the burning coal, the sense of uh, the, the cleansing of, of yeah. the fire and also the idea of coal, you know, burning, coal, the, being the presence of God, it's yeah. this cleansing effect of the presence of God because fire is always a, a symbol of the purifying presence of God. And so he says, your sin is atoned for. And, uh, and then it's interesting from here, uh, he hears a voice the voice of Yahweh, and remember, wherever uh, wherever you get uh, the Lord in capital letters uh, is Yahweh. Now here it yep. says the Lord, which is Adonai. I heard the voice of Adonai, the Lord, saying, "Whom shall I send, and who will go for us?" And it's interesting here too, because we've got this we've got this picture now of the heavenly court, as it were, uh, and. There are other scenes like this with this sense of this heavenly court and who who is going to go now? Yeah, yeah. Uh, who, and Isaiah is given this opportunity to respond and he says, here I am, send me. Mm. The other interesting thing is, and this happens in Revel, who, who should I send who will go for us? Yeah. It's, it's just yeah, that's right. this whole kind of the multi-trinitarian yeah. kind of sense of, is that what that is? Or, or Well, I, I, I think most probably you're talking about a heavenly court. Right, okay. That's quite a common uh, right. image e- even throughout the... Uh, throughout the yeah, Old Testament, yeah, yeah. so th- this you know God in the presence of all of the, you know it's like in Revelation the living creatures yes. and the, yeah. uh, and so forth. So, 
Okay. Um, so he says, and this is this is stra- strange now, but it's part of this judgment. Uh, now, what happens? You know, here, here is God in all of His glory, mm. and immediately you get this polarization effect. This is uh, you see this in the ministry of Jesus when Jesus came. He polarized people, brought out either the, the really the best mm. or really the worst, mm. not much in between. Yep. Uh, you know, polarization is the effect when the brighter the light, the darker the shadows. And you get this here because uh, he says in verse nine, he said, "Go tell this people." Be ever hearing but never understanding. Be ever seeing but never perce- never perceiving. He, say, he says to Isaiah, verse 10, Make the heart of this people calloused. Mm. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Mm. So they're so set. Mm. He's saying, push them further. Yeah. Actually, by sending Isaiah... It's going to further harden their hearts because yeah. they're going to hear the truth, but it's going to actually going to push them more mm. the other way. Which is so, very interesting, very similar to what we saw happen with the Egyptians when Moses went in that's and right. said, you know, um, and and God hardened their hearts so that they didn't wouldn't listen. Yeah, that's right. See, and they? and it's not that. And of course, Pharaoh's hard heart was already hard. Yes. Well, um, as but, is these people. But he, but mm. God is compounding it. You know, bringing mm. it to to mm. its. You know, it's its natural end. Mm. And this is a principle that Jesus talked about when he says those who have will be given more and those who do not have, even what that they have will be taken, taken away, away from him. Yeah. And then he quotes these verses in Matthew chapter 13. Jesus quotes these verses because mm. they say in Matthew 13, the disciples asked Jesus, why are you speaking in, par- in these riddles, parables? We think Jesus spoke in parables to make things clear, actually. Yeah, yeah. It actually veiled things. Yes. Um, and he says, well, uh, because to those who have will be given more, but mm. those who do not have, uh, even what they have will be taken, taken away. away. He's talking about, because he, he talks about those who have ears to hear and eyes to see. Mm. And he's talking about this willingness. If you are willing to understand, I'll give you more understanding. You'll mm. see more, right? If you're willing to see, you'll see more. Mm. But if you're not willing to see, even what sight you have will be taken away from you. Mm. And so Isaiah's ministry is going to have this effect. I wonder if Isaiah is regretting saying, here yeah. I am, send me yeah. at this stage. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting because that's a real natural, well, natural, I guess. Uh, you know, if we, if we continue ignoring the prompting of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we, we dull our senses to actually hear God speaking to us ultimately. Yeah, that's right. And so, yeah. and so we find ourselves, the more we ignore, the more we turn away, the more we decide to not heed what God's saying to us, actually we start to lose the ability to actually hear yeah, that's God's right. direction in our life. Yeah. You know, and yeah. this kind of points to that as well, I think. That's right. Yeah. And so Isaiah, you know, this is, mm. imagine hearing this, Isaiah natu- then naturally says, Lord, how long is this yeah, going right. to happen? Yeah. How long is this? It, like, are they never going to actually hear? I mean, he's concerned mm. about God's mm. purpose here because mm. God's people are central to God's purpose. It's not like God's going to say, I'll just sweep you out of the side and bunch. I'll just do it directly. <laughs> yeah, right. No, he, you know, yeah. he'd commit, God had committed himself mm. uh, to working through people because he committed the rule of the earth to people mm. and in particular to this people. You know, he'd made an everlasting yeah. covenant with this people yeah. that through them, through the children of Abraham, that blessing would come to the ends of the earth. So, Isaiah's a bit concerned here. Hmm. How how is this long? For a week how, or yeah, so? Or yeah. How yeah. long is this That's people right. who are so central to your purpose going to be not not going to listen? And he says, until the cities lie ruined mm. and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted, the fields are ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will be laid waste. 
um, but as the uh, terebinth and oak leaf stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will mm. be a stump mm. in the land. Mm. Wow. Yeah. So he's going to bring this thing until it's been pruned right down to a stump. And he's going to speak in chapter 11 about the stump of Jesse. We're going to come back to this stump. Yes. Um, it's going to, that's how drastic this has, has to get. Now, mm. this, is for the, this is necessary for the future of God's purpose. And notice here, this is the holy, holy, holy God. This is the impression I got from this, G. You know, this is when I, the effect that reading this kind of stuff has on me is that it, it adjusts my heart to the reality of God. Yeah. When, when, our hearts, I think, naturally go a little gray, you know, but it's like, wow, this is like black and white stuff mm. here. Mm. And, and, and the issues are really heavy here. Mm. And I found this very sobering to come back to this uh, again, this really polarized and... And recognizing the awesomeness yeah, and holiness absolutely. of, you know, God. It's like we, yeah. we can you know, make God fit into our box, but this is a God who is beyond our comprehension That's right. in reality. And, and he is holy, 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 and he yeah. is going to vindicate his holiness. Yeah. You know, it, it's like uh, he, there's so much grace and compassion and love mm. for his people, mm. but at the end of the day, God says, I am holy and I am God and I am the judge and you don't mm. mess You don't mm. mess with me. Yeah. Um, but the moment you turn back, I will, I will receive you. Now, at this stage, he, he's, you know, he's actually going to, push them further into their rebellion because he's going to prune this tree and that's what he does. Now, in chapter 7, as we move over into chapter 7, that's where he addresses this immediate situation that you referred to where uh, Assyria is Mm. on on its way down. The the king of the northern kingdom, um, Pekar, and Rezin, King Rezin of Aram, have entered into an alliance and they come to the southern kingdom and uh, to to Jotham, yep. Uh, uh, sorry, to, to Ahaz, I should say. Yes. Uh, they come to Ahaz and they say, "Hey, you come and join us. Come and join. We're going to mm. stand against mm. the Assyrians." Yep. Isaiah says, no, "No, no, don't do that." Now, what I think at this stage, it seems like Ahaz was backing the Assyrians. He's thinking as if they're going to beat the Assyrians, yes. which was pretty, which was, uh, you know, fair, I think that's enough. the right, yeah, that's right. I think it was the right. Logical. Yeah, that was the right kind of idea. Yeah. But, you know, Isaiah actually comes up with a, with a third option. It's not, don't, don't enter into this alliance with mm. the Northern Kingdom and with the Arameans. Mm. Now, they're going to be really, you know, they're not going to be happy about that because no. they need this alliance um, to survive against the uh, Assyrians. Mm. Um, but, you know, as I says, but neither do you need to trust in the Assyrians, neither do you need to make an alliance with them mm. because, uh, I'm going to, you can trust in God. And, uh, as it says down in verse nine, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Now, an interesting, interesting prophetic thing happens here. And that is the role of children, Stu. Yes. Did you notice that yes, when you I read this? Yes, I did notice that. Yes. Uh, that children, uh, th- there's there's four different children mm. between here and chapter nine mm. that play a, a really important. Prof- they become prophetic symbols. Yes. And the reason for children is because children represent the future. The next generation. That's right. Yeah. Children uh, really are, are the future, mm. and so. The, the symbolism of these different children and what they're called is going to be symbolic of the future. So, uh, so when the Lord says to Isaiah um, to go and meet with these 
to go and meet Ahaz. He says, go out, you and your son, and his son's name is Shia Jashub, which means a remnant will return. Yep. So that's the first, uh, this is the first key name. And again, this is a promise that, you know, a remnant will, a faithful remnant will return. God is, you know, yes, the storm is coming through, as you said before, the firestorm is coming through, but it's not going to kill everything. A remnant's yes. going, going to return. So he actually goes out with this son, Shia Jashab, who kind of symbolizes this uh, this promise that mm. what's in in the future, mm. and they go and meet with uh, with, with Ahab and um, and he says, "Look, Aram and the Northern Kingdom are going to be completely destroyed, so don't uh, don't back them." Um, but listen, you need to trust in the Lord. Mm. Uh, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Mm. And then he says, because Ahaz had probably already backed the Assyrians yeah, and is thinking, yeah, yeah, I don't know if I really want to mm. trust that much. I'm just going to back the uh, you know Assyrians. Because then it, in verse 10, it says again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. Mm. Ahaz, feigning piety somewhat, mm. says, mm. I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. Mm. Well, no, but God just said, ask for a sign. Yeah. and And I think... Was that because he didn't want to be backed into a corner? Yeah, I don't think he wanted to be backed into a corner. Yeah. That's right. I think yeah. he'd already made his decision. That's what I thought too. Uh, and yeah. his policy was set. It's like if I get a sign, then what yeah, am I meant to do? I know. I'm actually better not to have a sign. That's right. And and you know that can be true of us sometimes. I'd rather not know because yeah. then I don't feel any accountability. Yeah, that's you right. Know, actually, there is accountability. So yeah, that's right. Yeah. And then this is where we meet the next symbolic mm. uh, child. Uh, then Isaiah said, here now, your house of David, is, is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the right, uh, to reject the wrong right? and choose the yep. right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings that you dread will be laid waste. Mm. Uh, the Lord will bring you uh, and your people and on the house of your father time like any other. Anyway, it goes yeah. on like this. So in other yeah. words, a child is going to be born probably, and, and I, I think within the royal household. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, a, a, a Davidic um, a Davidic child is going to be uh, born, another one to the line of David. Mm. And within the time that he grows up and, and is old enough to tell between right and wrong, probably roughly uh, um, maybe the age of sort of 14, uh, you know, um, this, you know, this is this going to be gonna fulfilled, yep. you know, so th this is a, this, this is, is the sign. This is the sign. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this child gets born to the, to royal household, but by the time he gets to this age, you are, uh, you are going to be delivered. Um, actually, I might put a correction on that. I think it's even before that. Yeah, He'll be eating like, curds and honey yes. when he knows enough to reject yeah. the wrong and choose the right. I'm going from the traditional Jewish idea, the f like the adulthood 14. It's only four or five. No, no, it? that's right. Yeah, yeah. No, this is only mm. a f yeah, like a few years old. Mm. Yeah. So within, yeah, with, within a few years, pretty much, um, he's going to, th th there is going to be this, um, this cataclysm is going to come yeah. through. Um, and then he talks about that it's going to be Assyria. Assyria is going to be the Lord's instrument yes. for the judgment uh, on on the people. So there is this Emmanuel child here. Now, um, I had a conversation with um, a, a Jewish woman once, and she said, the thing I 
she said, the thing I don't understand about, you know, she referred to this verse. She said, it's clearly, it's refer- it's clearly talking about this day. It's not even talking about Jesus. Jesus. It's clearly talking about something in this day. And that is actually true. Mm. You know what I mean? Now, yep. her point was, this clearly is not meant to predict the Messiah. The point that I, I would make, though, is that, yes, perhaps it's, it's not necessarily meant to be predictive, but it is used prefiguratively. There's a difference yes. between predicting and prefiguring. Mm. And this is a prefigurement. So Matthew mm. refers to this verse here. Mm. Uh, he quotes from the verse that, and about Emmanuel and so forth, because he sees there a prefigurement, a prophetic prefigurement of, even though it's not explicitly um, uh, necessarily predicting, uh, though I think in a double fulfillment sense, you could see a predictive yeah. element uh, yeah. to this here because there's a because Emmanuel means God with us, mm. and you know this is the this is the sign that God fulfills His word and so forth that God yeah. is faithful and God yeah. is with us. Um, um, yeah. this, this was a question. I mean, we we talked briefly about this before we jumped in, and that was exactly kind of my and, and I you know for me I was thinking well we've got to remember also God's outside of time and space, and so He's seeing all of this stuff happening. Essentially, yeah. simultaneously, you know. Yeah. So he's thinking about what's coming. Oh, you're in the getting future. complicated, yes, and yeah. also talking about what's happening in the moment now, you know. Yeah. And, and anyway, it's it's uh, known as prophetic foreshortening. Yeah. It's like the, right. the illustration okay. that's used when you look at a mountain range, and, right. and you might be looking at mountain peaks that are, uh, you know, like fifty, hundred miles apart, right. and yet you see them as yeah, yeah. like they're yeah, right. all together in yeah. the one in yeah, the one yeah. vista. The the next child that 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 mm. we meet uh, is this child with this classic name, Stu, mm. in chapter eight. Mm. Uh, he he names this ch- this child Meashel al Hashbaz, mm. which means. Uh, let me just yeah, get this, um, uh, uh, this quick to the booty, yes. you know, to the spoil. Yeah. You know, it's basically it's the invitation to uh, oppressors to, to, to oppressors to come, come in and just lay waste. Yep. You know, because again, the idea here is that God is using Assyria as his instrument yes. of discipline upon his people. Yeah. So in a sense, the name of this child stands for God's call to those nations, to, to that nation mm. to come in uh, and, and plunder. Mm. Um, so, uh, and, and again, he says, before the boy knows how to say my father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the plunder of Samaria will be carried off by the king of Assyria. Yeah. So again, within that few years time, mm. um, uh, probably within a couple of years uh, in, in that case, yeah. this is all going to happen. So again, it's the birth of a child. By this time, you know, uh, this is going to happen. Mm. Uh, let me see if there's anything else to look at in this. Now, oh, yes, he says, um, uh, and this is this speaks again to this polarization theme. And again, another verse that's quite, lots of quotations of Isaiah in yeah. the New Testament, because uh, he talks about, uh, the Lord Almighty being the one to be that you should regard as holy, and um, and it says in verse fourteen of chapter eight, He will be a holy place for both Israel and Judah. He will be a stone that causes people to stumble, yeah. and a rock that makes them fall. Now the and a, and a trap. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Now if you think it like it, it's as if a rock were put across a road to block the traveller 
from danger. But actually, rather than stopping, the tra- the traveller actually charges ahead and falls over the rock. In the, in a sense, right? It's okay. that's yep. that's kind of the picture that God's putting a stone in their way, and they can either stop, they can either see the sign stop going the wrong way, or, or they will actually stumble over it. It'll mm. become a stumbling stone for them. Mm. Uh, and so, um, and so this is in a sense. Isaiah plays this role, and we see this is you know refers to um, Jesus in uh, in the New Testament that Jesus becomes either the cornerstone or the rock that makes people stumble. Yeah, you know, right. it's like either people respond positively yes. as the incarnate Word that He is, yeah, right. or that He becomes the stumbling block mm. over which people stumble. Mm. It's one or the other. This is this polarization uh, effect yeah. again, and so. He, uh, you know, God says, bind up this testimony of warning and seal up God's instruction amongst my among my disciples, so so that no one can say, uh, you know, so that when it happens, you'll know that God spoke to you. This yeah, is why right. He's telling it: bind it up and seal it, okay, mm, mm. Um, so that you know it will be recognised that you predicted these things. Mm. Um, and so Isaiah responds: Here I am, and the children the Lord has given me. We are signs and symbols in Israel from the Lord Almighty, who dwells on Mount Zion. So Isaiah and his children become the embodiment yeah. uh, of these yeah. uh, of these signs. But of course, there's hope, Stu. And in in chapter nine, you have this famous uh, this Prince famous decla- declaration <clears throat> that this mm. people walking in darkness uh, are going to see this great light. Those living in deep darkness, uh, a light has dawned. And of course, when when Isaiah speaks these these words of hope, it's it's like this is this time vantage point. Mm. He's speaking as as though it's already happened, yeah. you know, like it's past. You've enlarged a nation, increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder and so forth. He says, every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will yeah. be fuel for the fire. Okay, this is because there's going to be peace, in other words. Mm. And then we get the fourth child yeah. uh, here in, in the, these prophecies. Mm. He says... For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Again, another another child born within the royal household. Mm. And the government will be upon his shoulders. Now, his names, all of these child's names have had some significance, but nothing quite reaches the extravagance of these titles. These aren't just normal, uh, normal titles. No. There's an extravagance to these titles that's quite remarkable. Because he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Yeah. This child is going to be the very incarnation of God mm. himself mm. In, in, in a very important sense. Of the increase of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on forever. Mm. This is the everlasting kingdom. So Isaiah is... is uh, you know, is looking way beyond, you know, this time uh, to the establishment of God's everlasting kingdom. He comes back to... We and, jump uh, back to judgment again. Here, yeah, that's right. We? we jump back to judgment again. And one thing I just want to point out here, Stu, no, in chapter 10, again, because remember, we've got this God that is holy, holy, holy. His glory fills the earth. He's God over everyone, right? Mm, mm. Now, he, he says uh, here... He points out that the Assyrian invasion is not out of God's control. In fact, he referred, they're just my tools. He's using them. Yeah, Yeah. but that doesn't also then, um, that doesn't excuse them from judgment as well. Uh, And in fact, 
he declares judgment beforehand on the instrument that he's about to use. Woe to the Assyria, mm. Assyrian, the rod of my anger, in whose hand is the club of my wrath. Mm. So that's all you are. You're, you're the club in my hand. Uh, he says, I send him against a godless nation. I dispatch him against the people who anger me. I mean, you see this. In the book of Revelation, you see God releasing demons to do his will. In fact, yeah. that's not unusual in, in that scene between um, Jehoshaphat and, and Ahab in Kings. There's this, there's this scene where this prophet Micaiah sees, again, the heavenly court. Mm. And God says, who will go and be a, a lying spirit in the lips of the false prophets? Yep. You know, when you've got yep. the, the various spirits offering to go. Oh, so yeah, in yeah. a sense, there's this sense that God is, is sovereign over even demonic entities. They can only ever do what God allows them to, to do. do. And yeah. often, and this is what you see in the book of Revelation, often God... In the book of Revelation, you see God sending, releasing them. These are these scorpion-like creatures mm. uh, to the earth to bring all of the evil upon, on the earth to to the surface, surface. to actually bring mm. it all to the surface, uh, which is what you know what you often uh, see as mm. uh, see happening. So, in this case, you know God's just saying, "I'm I'm using. I send the Syrian king. I dispatch him." Mm. But then He says in verse seven. This is not what he intends. This is not what he has in mind. His purpose is destroy, to destroy. So he's not, he's not doing this to serve God. He's just doing that out of pride. Yeah, that's right. But even though he's doing this for his own reasons mm. and out of pride, God says, "Yet in my sovereignty, mm. this is all part of me. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm pulling the strings here." Yeah. In a sense. And if you get to verse twelve, he, the Lord kind of says, you know, the, the king yeah. of Assyria says he's done this because of his own might and his own strength. That's right. And, and really, the punishment is because no, no, I. That's yeah. a bit like the axe telling the guy yeah. who's whacking him that the axe did the job. You know. It's yeah, like, that's right. No, <laughs> exactly. And so uh, he says, "There, I will punish the king of yeah, Assyria for the willful yeah. pride of his heart yeah. and in the haughty look in his eyes." Mm. Um, uh, but Just of course, 20. then you come back again. Mm. Uh, you come back again to these um, talks these promises. Talks about the remnant. Mm. Uh, a remnant shall return, uh, which comes back to the name of yeah. Shea Jashub. The, yeah. rem, the remnant will, will return. So you know something drastic is going to happen, but God is going to save a remnant, and you get this this honing down of who really are the people of God through it. You know at the, that you're going to get the destruction of the northern kingdom, and this is kind of preparing them for this because it, they would have thought it unthinkable that God would allow ten tribes of His covenant people to be to just sort of disappear, yeah, destroyed. Uh, yeah. So you get down just to this tribe of Judah, essentially. Mm. Uh, how could this happen? Well, this is you know this is how God works. He's going to he's honing down his people to a remnant. This is mm. already answering that question, and so this is where you get in chapter eleven. A shoot will come from the stump of Jesse. Jesse is David's father. Yes. Um, so from the stump of Jesse, a new shoot's going to come up. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. A spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he but hears with his ears. But with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Mm. Righteousness will be his and so forth. I mean, mm. and then it goes down in verse 19. It says, uh, so, and then you get that famous, um, about the, 
the I should read on the wolf yeah. will lie with the lamb, yeah. the leopard, leopard will lie down with the goat, mm. uh, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them, mm. and so forth and so forth. And it says right at the end there, they will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. goes on to say in verse 12, he will raise a banner for the nations and gather the exiles of Israel. Now, of course, because they're going to be assimilated into the nations, this is talking about the ingathering of the nations in this very period. Yeah. It's talking about this period. Yeah. Uh, and of course, the, the shoot that comes from the stump of Jesse, of course, is, uh, is, is, is Jesus Christ. Yeah. And, uh, and, and he is the one that, that, brings, um, that brings this about, that brings this rule of peace so that the earth is filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the, as the waters uh, cover the sea. And mm. he raises this banners. You know, he raises the banner. It's essentially the gospel, the raising of the yeah. banner yeah. to gather in all of the exiles from over the earth. And then you get this wonderful uh, response of praise, of praise yeah. don't you, from, from Isaiah, the, I'll praise you, Lord. You know, I mean, it's, it's, a, uh, it's a beautiful song of praise. So it's really... Uh, it's it's a real roller coaster ride. You've got these, you know, uh, uh, very sobering oracles of judgment. This amazing vision of God who comes with these oracles of judgment, brings this message of judgment. But within that, this strong message of hope that there is there is a dark tunnel to go through, but there is a very very bright light at the end of that tunnel. Thanks for listening to this episode of Thrive Deeper. Our home on the internet is thrivetoday.tv. You can contact us, ask questions, see all our resources and much more at our website, thrivetoday.tv. We really appreciate the questions and thoughts about what you're reading as we go through the Bible with Thrive. Until next time, our prayer is that these shows will inspire you to go deeper and thrive. Thrive.